All right, this is Darker Days Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chig. How's it going, Chig? Pretty good, Mike. How you doing? Oh, I'm just chipper. Had a uh, pretty dull day, which is why I'm so excited to be here with you talking about one of the ultimate role-playing games. And what game is that, Chig? Well, that would be Shadowrun. <sighs> That's right, Shadowrun. We're going to be talking about how horror is portrayed in Shadowrun, how you can add horror into Shadowrun, and just uh, talking about a little bit of cyberpunk and fantasy today, which is going to be a ton of fun. But before we get to that, uh, Chig, why don't we get a little game update from you? What kind of gaming have you been doing lately? Well, as longtime listeners will know, I was running a Masks uh, game for a long time. That wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there was an epic showdown. The teen heroes saved the world. All went well. Uh, very few people died. No one important. Um, we have since moved on to The Expanse. Uh, based on the TV series and novel series of the same name. Um, we've had one session. It's pretty fun. And this one, I get to play in and not run. So I like it a lot. Outstanding. Outstanding. Yeah. I know a lot of people are really into the Expanse game. And um, it definitely has some interesting support for how to run that universe outside of the shows. How to kind of do your own thing. And I think it's uh, pretty cool for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everything that I've seen about it has been good interesting uh well written I, I like i said I'm, I'm enjoying it so far and with that game update let's go on to the gaming news all right so we have two things that we want to highlight that uh, just came out the first is kith and kin for changeling the lost this is a source book that includes a ton of new kiths um and other player options as well as storytelling ideas for various motleys so I almost wanted to call it the player's guide, but um, Onyx Path doesn't call it that. So it's uh, it's a pretty cool, pretty nice expansion and has a lot of great things for players and also a little bit for storytellers as well. You can play Changeling the Lost without it, but why would you want to? You're, you're leaving money on the table. And in addition to that, we also have Book of Lasting Death from Mummy the Curse. Um, this has new guilds and also new antagonists. And uh, again, it's a pretty good mix of player and uh, storyteller resources. So definitely another cool book from Onyx Path. Haven't seen this one. Didn't know it was coming. I'm I'm not big on Mummy the Curse. <laughs> yeah, I just found it. I just found it. I actually played Mummy the Curse over the summer, and it was, uh, it was awesome. It's a really fun game. Uh, and I was just playing one of the... Uh, immortals in that not one of the mummies or even just a, a mundane cultist i was kind of like in the uh, the middle ground and it was nice it was a lot of fun and uh, you get like a really diverse array of powers um so definitely definitely a fun game yeah i didn't know about this source book either until i was just looking around at uh, drive through rpg but uh, there's actually been a bunch of things coming out from onyx path lately and it's it's a little amusing, Chig, because uh, the tables have sort of turned. It seems like there's more Chronicles of Darkness uh, content coming out than World of Darkness lately. Well, you know, the World of Darkness is focused on getting 5th edition Hunter into uh, people's hands. So I understand. Yeah, yeah. And also Werewolf now. That's one of the, uh, the big things as well that they're now working on and teasing some stuff on. We should probably do an episode on uh, some of the new ideas that they have for... Uh, for werewolf fifth edition because i for one think they're great i think that several of those ideas are fantastic i haven't seen everything obviously but uh yeah i like i like what i've seen so far 
Mm-hmm. Well, people can look forward to more werewolf content in the future, but for today, let's talk about the 1989 classic, Shadowrun. Okay, so for those of you that don't know, this is what Shadowrun is. It's the fantasy cyberpunk mashup RPG. Uh, it's set in the years 2050 to 2080 and beyond. Uh, one of the cool things is that uh, when FASA was originally releasing this, and also FanPro and now Catalyst Game Labs, every year that passes in our real world also is a year that passes in uh, in Shadowrun. So in another, oh, couple of years, you know, we'll be catching up to uh, the 2050 that Shadowrun actually started in. So that'll be, a, that'll be pretty wild. So Shadowrun's world is one where catastrophic plagues and a return of magic set the stage for an elf, dwarf, troll, and orc-inhabited world where megacorporations have seized power in the wake of failing nation-states. You play as a Shadowrunner, an operative and disposable asset hired by corporations, governments, and uh, wealthy individuals to steal data, hack the matrix, liquidate targets, and even go against the corporations themselves. Chig, I know you, uh, you're you pretty big into Shadowrun, or at least used to be. Which edition did you start with back in the day? I am very old, and I started way back in high school with first edition. Uh, second edition was out when I, when I started playing, but uh, it was still fairly new, so... There weren't a lot of splat books for it, so the guy that wanted to run it had all the first edition books, and so that's what I started with. Outstanding, yeah. And speaking of splat books, I mean, if you think World of Darkness has a lot of books, just look at Shadowrun. They uh, they really pump them out, and they have been continuously since uh, since 1989. And it's amazing because they don't even really technically have splats, but anyway, when, when did you start? Kid. Oh, geez. I started in 2012, I want to say. Yeah, 2012. We started with the fourth edition slash 20th anniversary edition, which is the one uh, which was a little a little wonky uh, because they got rid of the Deckers and they put in all these uh, these hackers. They have the Technomancers, which were a big thing um, as, as basically magical hackers. And uh, also the physical adepts really, uh, really changed things around as well in that edition. Was that the first non-FASA edition? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. 20th anniversary was put out by FanPro. No, 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 I'm sorry. Fourth edition was put out by FanPro. 20th anniversary was the the repairs that Catalyst Game Labs did to make uh, the book more readable and things a bit more playable. Uh, We were using the 20th anniversary edition. So which edition is your favorite? I'm assuming that you've tried more than the uh the one and a half flavors there yeah yeah uh i think i i played fifth edition the most and uh i didn't mind it too much um i was a player and also you know the game master as well and it's it's very very granular incredibly granular but with fifth edition the systems kind of did work it was just a lot to keep in your head so the edition that i would say I prefer these days is uh, Shadowrun Anarchy, which is kind of an alternate rules light version of the game. Uh, it takes a lot of house rules to give it the traditional Shadowrun feel, 
but uh, just to like keep everything in your head and to keep the game flowing smoothly at the table, uh, I think Anarchy is uh, is my go-to choice. I can't imagine playing Shadowrun without all the bookkeeping. That's <laughs> yeah. That's that's part of the attraction to this game. A little for bit, me. Yeah. Like I said, I started with first edition, but I think second edition is probably my favorite. Um, it cleaned up a lot of the, it cleaned up some of the rules from first edition. Um, third edition would go on to clean up even more, but it got rid of the skill web, which is something that I really enjoyed. So. Yeah, yeah, that skill web you always talk about. You always opine about it, Chig. Would you like to share that with our listeners just to uh, tantalize people with what first edition was like and what future Shadowrun could have been like? Back in my day. Right, so um, the skill web is... Every every skill in... So Shadowrunners have attributes, you know, like strength and agility and willpower and intelligence, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And every skill in the game is you know, attached to runs off of one of those uh, attributes. So if you have um, car repair, because, you know, you have, you're playing a character who is uh, the rigger, the guy who drives the cars and flies the drones. So you have, you know, car repair, right? Um, because you are good at fixing cars, you can base your drive skill off of that you know how cars work so you know that if you press this pedal down it goes fast if you press that pedal down it stops because you've built you put those pedals in before so if you don't have a drive skill for whatever reason but you do have a really high uh build repair car skill then you can take what you know from building and repairing cars and use it to drive or to make it less horribly negative penalties if you know how to build and repair car you know you know how to to build an engine take it out and you know put it up on the the chains and you know clean it out whatever well i mean a boat engine isn't that different from a car engine so you can take a small smaller penalty and use your build and repair automobiles skill with a small penalty to your dice pool to build and repair boats now where this gets in trouble is if you are the greatest neurosurgeon in the world and you have, you know, 17 D6s in neurosurgery, you can take a very hefty penalty and still somehow manage to parlay that into having four or five dice, which is a decent sized pool, um, in like, you know, TV VCR repair. Mm. <laughs> it, sh it shouldn't yeah. work. It should be a, a, no, you can't, you can't do that. But technically, yeah, I'm the world's greatest neurosurgeon. Of course I can, you know, hack into this mainframe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's actually a really clever idea because um, it, it it doesn't tax people as much for, for skills. You know, if you are investing in mechanics, then it does make sense that you'd have some skill with driving, for example. Or um, if you know how to hack into the matrix... It makes sense that you'd also be able to hack into a vehicle and uh, use those uh, those abilities as well, um, which are usually the purview of another character class. So I really like it in that regard. But you're right, Chick, that there are some kind of wonky situations that do arise. Um, and this is actually, you know, speaking of not taxing people as much, there's some really weird stuff with skill groupings in the later editions where in that uh, you can buy these groups of skills at like a discount package kind of. 
So you get like a group mm-hmm. of four stealth skills, for example, but there's a cap to those. And if you were to buy each skill individually, you could go above that cap. So there's a lot of like weird taxes that go on in, in later versions of Shadowrun, which uh, I'm not a huge fan of. Um, uh, and and just kind of create some some weird inefficiencies. But anyway, I think that's enough about us waxing lyrical about skill systems and game mechanics. I think we should get on, Chig, to the horror and Shadowrun. The meat of the episode. Yeah, that's right. So Shadowrun has had a lot of source books over the years. Way too many. Uh, and I've only read a fraction of them, to be perfectly honest. I don't think honest. anybody has read every Shadowrun source book. If you have, please let me know listener chig are you telling me that that the geniuses the historians at catalyst game labs haven't read every single source book to the games that they publish i'm sure they have access to them and i'm sure that they've read (laughs) parts of most of them (laughs) but no i don't think everybody's anybody has read the entire catalog Mm -mm. yeah seems unlikely seems unlikely I, i think that you would just go insane if you tried and that's a horror trope right there, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, so Shadowrun has had so many books, and there's been a lot of horror elements and tropes introduced over the years. And uh, we'll talk about some of the better ideas later, but I think the first really unsung horror theme that's been in Shadowrun since the very beginning is economic horror. The world of Shadowrun is an awful place to live in for 99% of the population. In this world, you need to pay corporations for everything. And I mean everything. Do you want to have police protection? Well, you got to cough up money for Lone Star. Uh, do you want to have actual medical service? Well, you better have a dock wagon contract. Want to have trash removed or you know, have a fire put out? Well, the city can't afford that anymore, even though they're still collecting taxes. Uh, so you have to get insured by Franklin Associates for you know a faster response if you're in an emergency. And... You know, this this game came out in 1989, but the depressing thing is is that some of these living conditions have really become true in the United States, you know, having privatized fire departments, for example, um, and other things. It's, it's, it's just wild. Yeah, a world of corporate hegemony where a very few incredibly wealthy corporations and the individuals running them make every item you own, use, or see on a day-to-day basis... That, that just sounds awful. I'm, I'm sure glad that's not how we're... Wait, I'm, I'm getting a, a notification here. Oh. Oh, yeah, that that's bad. Th- this was not like a, a how-to guide, guys. No. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, I've, I've joked that, uh, you know, the last, like, six years, we've been living in the cyberpunk future, and uh, it's way lamer than we could have thought. Yeah, I do not have a single implanted device in my body that will let me have, like, you know, ninja skills. I'm upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't even jack directly into the Matrix either. It's crazy. Anyway, so the cyberpunk themes of Shadowrun, uh, you know, in the setting give you an opportunity to explore how economic conditions affect others, especially in a chronically cash-poor society. Um, yeah, but unlike the other popular cyberpunk game available at the time, which we have reviewed in the past, there's no mechanical reason that you couldn't technically claw your way out of the gutter. Um, it's possible, but it really isn't exceptionally likely to happen. And even if you 
did, then you're still leaving the vast majority of people behind. So, um, yeah. And the only way that you can really do that is to work for the corporations. And there, there's not a good one. No, there isn't. And that's, Chig, you really kind of highlighted something that's very interesting, which is this shift that's really happened in Shadowrun adventures over the years. If you look at some of the very early Shadowrun material, you know, it really is focused on that street level and having to deal with this, this economic horror and, you know, the, the depressed economic conditions around you. And yes, you can perhaps claw your way up, but that wasn't the focus of some of the initial adventures. But then, you know, as time progressed, um, that really changed with a lot of the missions and adventures, wherein uh, the official FASA ones got much more epic, especially in in second edition and then third edition Shadowrun, where you are um, dealing with dragons, elven ninja assassins, and all that kind of good stuff, which makes for a lot of really memorable adventures. But it does change the tone drastically from some of the early material. And then, of course, now, when people are playing Shadowrun in, you know, 6th World, 5th Edition, what have you, um, they've really, they've really uh, uh, focused on the mission structure rather than story structures, which is great for um, uh, getting people to the table and kind of knowing what to expect and making it very easy for a storyteller to run these, these missions and adventures. But it really makes it focused on that bookkeeping that you mentioned, collecting your new yen, getting a corporate script, and you know buying just the upgrades for your character. Right, and that is a shift away from definitionally cyberpunk mm. to something that I I like to think of as cyber pulp, and that it is mm. more more adventury and more you know gung ho, go out there and beat the bad guys and save the day than it is about taking down the corporations and fighting against oppression and the man. Very insightful. Very insightful, Chig. So, because there's that, been that real big shift in tone with Shadowrun, I actually wanted to highlight some of the early adventures, which I think uh, were able to illustrate some of that economic horror that we were just describing. And the first one I want to talk about is Dream Chipper. Uh, in this one... Uh, Shadowrunners explore the sinister world of BTLs, or Beatles, uh, known as, you know, better-than-life chips. And these addict users to uh, stimulated and simulated worlds uh, and pleasures. And also, running around, there's maybe a kind of Jack the Ripper sort of character uh, in the background. Yeah, so uh, BTLs are a very obvious, very thinly covered uh, drug metaphor here. Uh, if you didn't pick up on that from from Mike's description, it's a way to escape your awful existence for a short time that will eventually probably kill you. Unlike real world drugs, however, uh, they do this by allowing you to temporarily experience the life of someone much better off than yourself. Uh, somebody who can afford the good things in life, go to the nice places that you'll never visit, eat the delicious foods that aren't grown entirely in a vat, uh, meet beautiful people and have wild sex with them all in a hyper realistic way that is like it says on the package better than life. Uh, so it's easy to see how people who pack themselves into coffin hotels every night might get hooked on those experiences. 
Yeah, and as I'm sure you would expect, you know, there's definitely low-level dealers in uh, Beatles and the like, but uh, who's really benefiting from all of this? Who's really pumping that stuff out? It's the megacorps. Sure. Uh, Beatles are completely illegal, and you can't manufacture them. It's against the rules. You'll be fined. But, I mean, you know, a fine is a price, and if you're a billion-dollar corporation that's that's the the fine is less than you're making off of the the crime so next up for adventures we have mercurial uh and this adventure is great for rockers and investigative reporters as they try to solve the mysteries around who is after rock star maria mercurial um, this is another cool street level adventure where you're going to clubs concerts and the like dealing with um uh, the Yakuza, who are always very prominent in Shadowrun uh, material, as well as some corporate uh, uh, ne'er-do-wells as well. So it's another uh, adventure that a lot of people really like. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun adventure. It's, it's fairly straightforward. There's not a lot of options going on there. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very good beginner's ga- uh, adventure to, to run a, a group through. And hey, you get to meet, you know, a rock star. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also great for uh, using characters from Chig's favorite Shadowrun supplement, which is known as Shadow Beat. I mean, it's the best one. So It is. I still haven't read it, but it seems awesome. I'll send you another copy. <laughs> <laughs> there's, only, there's only five of them sitting at uh, Half Price Books right now. It's a, a dark and fallen world in which we live. <laughs> yeah. And then the other adventure I wanted to bring up, and I wanted to bring this up because there's a lot of people that talk about it, a lot of people that have fond memories of it, and that's Peacekeeper, which is an adventure exploring the uh, status of various Native American nations who had a resurgence when magic returned. Um, and this is a, an interesting adventure for exploring non-urban economic horror in the Shadowrun universe. Yeah, so... We should probably touch on the fact that Shadowrun is definitely a product of its time, and that time is the late 80s and early 90s, and it didn't do a really super great job at portraying certain minority, most minority groups. Yep. Uh, there was a lot of cultural appropriation in the backstory of the game and the world, and the idea that after magic comes back into the world... Uh, indigenous Americans would decide to live in a in ways that are just very similar to their pre-Columbian ancestors. That's that's really not a, a great idea. Um, it's it is probably better than what the indigenous Mexican people got, though. So, yeah, with the uh, the Aztlan and supplements and uh, yeah, Shadowrun. Actually, we should probably take note of a couple of really awful things that Shadowrun did, you know, because it was just written by some people in Chicago and uh, they, they weren't really thinking about, um, you know, widespread appeal issues of, uh, you know, misusing other cultures and the like. But uh, yes, Mexico um, got a really weird thing where basically a corporation owns them all now. Um, Mexico only, I'm sorry, Aztlan only owns like the, top quarter of mexico 
Okay, fair just, enough. Just fair like enough. the United States got broken up into multiple countries, uh, so too did Mexico. For, Indeed. For reasons. Magic reasons. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. And speaking of magic reasons, uh, if you wanted to run a really cool cyberpunk adventure in Shadowrun Dublin, well, you can't because elves took over everything. And uh, I think, wasn't uh, the entire continent of Africa just turned into like a giant ghoul country? Didn't that happen, Chig? Am you know, I remembering that? I don't remember the entire continent of Africa getting a single mention in any of the Shadowrun books I ever read. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't think it was something they put a lot of thought into, especially not in 1989. So I just, the reason we brought up this adventure peacekeeper is because it is finally remembered. And a lot of people, I think it's because it was written by Nigel Finley, who was a, you know, really good RPG writer uh, from, you know, a, a story and, and, and systems um, uh, perspective. And a lot of people really like that. But of course we want to just pass along that there are some, some strange uh, issues that do crop up in Shadowrun that you should be uh, aware of. And we'll talk even more about those later. We'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Let's leave behind the economic horror for a little bit, and let's just talk about another little horror trope that you can introduce into your Shadowrun games, which is ghosts in the machine. And this is what happens when people's minds have gotten stuck in the matrix and basically the, the virtual reality internet that everyone uses in Shadowrun. Their minds have gotten stuck in the matrix when their bodies die or are cut off, and these ghosts can be found haunting dark corners of the net. Yeah, that that's not a thing. Um, anybody who tells you that that happened is either fibbing to you or they were real drunk at the time. Maybe they were on BTLs. Who knows? Uh, but decking is perfectly safe and nobody ever gets their mind ripped out of their body. Mm, yeah, yeah. Nobody ever hot simmed and uh, something bad happens. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. It's a little inaccessible, unfortunately, uh, because the way that Shadowrun's core game mechanics work decking or hacking is kind of its own mini game and the rest of the group basically has to sit there while the decker kind of does their own little little puzzle solving and dice rolls for 20 to 30 minutes so um you have to kind of think about how to introduce this in a way that's accessible to the rest of the characters uh whether it be just a uh, kind of a ghost in the machine that's haunting maybe the physical adept or, or the street samurai or a um, uh, just other ways to, to, to make it accessible. Um, maybe messages going to the technomancer as well could be a good way to use the ghost in the machine. And one thing that makes this even more difficult in uh, pre fourth edition versions, um, people who used magic didn't really interact with the matrix at all. Right. Like they they might access it the way that you or I would access Facebook or Twitter. They might go there to do their shopping or whatever, but they do not plug in because that would mess with their magic. Correct. Yeah, they would lose essence if they uh, had a cyberjack installed. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it is challenging. That is one of the uh, the big discrepancies in. Well, used to be a big discrepancy in Shadowrun, wherein um, people with cybertech 
they could access and do really cool stuff with technology and the matrix matrix especially whereas um the shamans and thaumaturges they and, and physical adepts they were able to do stuff with magic and the spirit world so you know technology and spirit world were kind of these two separate um things that they got to interact with and in later editions that line has been really blurred wherein um there's now the technomancer which is kind of like a, a magical sort of hacker and um yeah the the magic has gotten more and more into the matrix side of things as well um which some people really like i try to keep them separate personally in my games yeah i will i will bow to your expertise on that because that happened after i stopped playing Shadowrun. but there was something uh that happens back when you played chig and that's bug city uh but i guess before we get to that maybe we should talk about shamans a little bit right so like we we just went over um there have always been various different types of, uh, of magic users in Shadowrun. Uh, you have your hermetic mages who, you know, learn magic by, you know, writing down formulae and doing math and all that fun stuff. And then you have the shamans who have uh, spirit guides. Again, it's kind of culturally appropriation-y and it's very, um, what's what I'm looking for here, reductive. Uh but yes, uh, spirits are real. Uh, they can talk to you and uh, they can adopt you. And you can have a nature spirit who is your patron and you get bonuses on doing some things and you get bans on doing other things. In fact, it's kind of werewolfy in that way, sort of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then we have Bug City, which has insect spirits and they are a whole different kettle of fish. Mike, want to tell us about insect spirits? Absolutely, absolutely. So insect spirits, they're body horror on the surface, but they also push forward some of the economic horror of this setting. So the insect spirits are actually returning alongside magic, and they're heralds of the horrors that have tormented the world in previous ages. And these insect spirits, they influence some shamans um, as kind of like a way to like quick power and the like and influence them into creating these insidious cults within cities. Uh, these cults then target the poor, disaffected, and the ill to be invested with larval bug spirits. And this is usually not uh, uh, with their consent. You know, they kind of join this cult. They drink some Kool-Aid. Well, without them knowing that there's now a bug spirit in them. And given time, these insect spirits will grow and uh, they will slowly take over the host's body, becoming these half-spirit, half-bug flesh forms. And uh, it's pretty gross, and the insect spirits have uh, taken over the city of Chicago in the setting. Yeah, the, the entire city of Chicago is run by these nasty bug creatures, and uh, the army has set up a barricade around the city to keep them from getting out. And uh, to keep you, the player character, from getting in. Why would you want to go into a city infested with nasty bug spirits? To loot it, obviously. It's a fantastically huge dungeon. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, Shadowrunners, we get hired by a corporation to go steal the secrets of uh, secrets left behind by a different corporation in there. So they have to sneak past the barricade, get in, and, uh, well, it's probably not going to turn out well for them in the end. But rarely do Shadowruns turn out well. But yeah, Bug City is my favorite setting source book, like location guide, 
uh, for any game that I've ever read. It's so gross. The insect spirits are so horrifying. I, I love everything about it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But that is just one instance, really the, the only instance where, you know, the insect spirits really took over. Um, and all the other cities, they're kind of like a, uh, you know, an, an issue kind of sneakily existing under the surface. Um, you know, there's cults like the Universal Brotherhood, which look like they're above board New Age cults. Nothing too wrong with that. Um, but they secretly spread hives throughout many major cities. And I also had an idea for a, uh, a bug spirit cult, which would literally just be like a bunch of people with MBAs, basically. They're always talking about investiture, investment, uh, that sort of thing. And they see these bug spirits as a uh, just another asset for them to grow. Oh, so that would be a cool basis for an adventure. It's, it's not a pyramid scheme. It's a hive scheme. See, it's completely different. Right, right. And for other ideas to kind of bring in some horror tropes, we, of course, have the cleaners. So if you are someone that likes a low-power RPG, uh, then your Shadowruns could just be, end up cleaning, end up as the cleaning crew for their city. So rooting out ghouls that are down in the sewers, or maybe exterminating shadow critters, um, or even bug spirits, too. I'm fairly certain this was in one of the early FASA novels, where a character gets hired by the city to do sewer maintenance and it turns out that that involves a high-powered automatic rifle in addition <laughs> yeah, to you know like it. cleaning cleaning blocked uh sewer tunnels and stuff mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i believe it so in addition to uh the supernatural horror and the economic horror uh we also have groups uh like the humanus poly club and uh, they are, in fact, uh, mentioned in the Peacekeeper adventure that we talked about earlier. Um, so what are the Humanist Poly Club? Well, when magic came back into the world, uh, it brought a process known as goblinization, which is what something that Mike mentioned earlier as well. Uh, a percentage of the global population uh, woke up one day and uh, they were no longer humans as you and I know them, they were uh, what were previously considered fantasy creatures. They were elves and they were dwarves or they were orcs and they were trolls. And naturally, uh, a lot of people just absolutely hated these people who did nothing wrong and were quite literally just born that way. And that is absolutely not and never has been a metaphor for anything at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, sure it hasn't. But yeah, so there's there's a whole big group of people in white hoods who call themselves, Oof. yeah, the Humanist Poly Club, because Poly Club is a political club. They don't have parties, they have clubs, uh, who see it as their mission in life to make the lives of those who are different from them absolutely miserable. I mean, maybe maybe those dwarves and trolls and orcs and elves could just go somewhere else you know away from real americans the freaks so yeah racism is a thing in Shadowrun. uh the humanist poly club is treated as a group of bad guys because they're racist and uh, they are in fact bad guys because they're racist 
but if you're playing a non-human character and they're fun to play, you know, everybody likes to play a, an orc or a dwarf or whatever every now and again. Uh, there is a non-zero chance that a racist you bump into might just decide to make your day worse. And this could be anything from being ignored at a restaurant uh, to being shot at. So, you know, real-life horrors, fantasy setting style. Yeah, yep, yeah. So this is something that um, I want to say got shoehorned in because clearly this is something that exists in our society. There's going to be racism or other discriminations that take place in the Shadowrun setting. They do things kind of weird in Shadowrun where, I don't know, I don't know who said this originally, but there was this idea that that um, the ethnic racism of our modern world goes away once the Shadowrun metatypes, you know, elves, dwarves, trolls, orcs, etc., uh, appear in the world, which seems like a really poor way to just kind of whitewash a real issue away and and then just kind of to uh ham-fistedly replace it with this this uh humanus pala club for example um really all these things are going to um exist in Shadowrun, and you know i had a, a player in my game that um you know tried to play around with with like a a an orc support group for example and it got kind of weird to be honest um wherein i think it might have been just better to just talk about things as they exist in the real world you know say with um you know latin americans black americans etc rather than just kind of this sort of tongue-in-cheek um approach to it yeah so that's how i think about yeah this. i'm not i'm not sure i want to tech tackle racism real world or otherwise in in my games i game with a very pale group so indeed i don't think my group is the one that should be tackling this kind of thing i'm i'm i i agree that it is a thing that you can work into your gaming uh sessions and if this is a thing that helps you work through some real life issues that you or incidents that you may have uh dealt with in in your past hey more power to you um but i the way that they do it is is in in shadow run is i think that might be more uh fantastic than saying hey there's elves <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so, Jay, that's all I've got for uh, horror in Shadowrun. Uh, are there any other uh, things that you want to bring up based on your vast knowledge of the setting? Um, there's, of course, like vampires and ghouls and stuff. Uh, if you just want to have like kind of the undead style horror, of course, they're not really undead. They're just infected with a uh, Sir, uh, really sinister they are virus. Sick, and there is a treatment for it, and you should not uh, discriminate against them just because they have an incurable disease. So yeah, that's that's kind of something that's in there as well. Um, yeah, there there are people who have the human metahuman vampire virus HMHVV, uh, and some of them can only survive by eating dead flesh, and some of them can only survive by drinking blood, and uh, it is treated as a disease. There is no known cure, at least as of the, 
the supplements that I read. Maybe they did that later, later editions. But uh, yeah, they it it's uh, it's not exactly an AIDS metaphor, or it wasn't at the time, but uh, it was very close. It was definitely in the back of their mind when they made that. Um, I've never used the the vampires or ghouls in any of my Shadowrun games, actually. So I don't know if I ever run Shadowrun again. Maybe I'll do something with that. I'll think about it. I had a um, groundhog shaman who set up a community for the um, outcasts of society who had a colony of ghouls who lived nearby. Uh, they were surprisingly effective at uh, uh, like trash maintenance and getting rid of stuff that nobody else wanted. So That was really, really progressive if you're a groundhog shaman. Well, groundhog shamans... Uh, like mission in life, I forget the the term they use is uh, to build communities. Cool. So they're fun to play. Yeah, that's awesome. That's another I never knew about that. That's really awesome. All right, so that's it for uh, Shadowrun this episode. And uh, of course, we are Darker Days Radio. Uh, we have our link tree where you can find all of our social media on the internet. Um, and of course, we really like to highlight our Discord. Uh, that's where I spend most of my social media time, uh, just chatting with people, brainstorming ideas, finding um, really crazy tumblers, reviewing every single <laughs> Shadowrun first edition adventure. That was very beneficial for uh for reviewing this episode and, and getting ready with the the show notes and all that so definitely check that out um Chig, is there any uh, social media that you want to highlight or any podcast that you want to highlight that you might be on soon uh i will be recording as the uh senior mythos correspondent uh an episode of mage the podcast uh coming soon it's uh fantastic podcast if you're at all interested in mage the ascension i highly recommend it cool yeah we'll put a link to the show notes to terry's mage show and i think that's all we got for this episode take it take it easy everyone and have a good night stay safe out there This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com. Occam's Laser.